0: This is retired Army First Sergeant Mark Flowers, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Fixed Bayonets Podcast, military history you didn't learn in school. A few weeks ago, I recorded a podcast about the Iraqi situation prior to their invasion of Kuwait in August 1990. I'd like to follow up with that today and give you a little bit of background about the situation in the U.S. Army at that time in our history. 1990 was a year of change in the Army a busy year in the training sense, and also one of uncertainty because the Soviet Union was collapsing, the Cold War was ending, and so the Army as an institution had been very focused for many years on the European theater. In January and February, my unit went to the National Training Center for a force-on-force rotation there, and uh, it was a very challenging and immersive environment that tested our systems, our tactics, our decision-making, and our equipment. In March of that year, we went to Gunnery uh, with the Bradley Fighting Vehicles, and then we uh, spent the summer supporting ROTC Summer Camp. In late July 1990, I went to Fort Hood, Texas from my home station at Fort Riley for the Army's basic non-commissioned officer course for Cavalry Scouts. And so that was a very tough and intense course, and so we were very focused on getting the job done there. August 7th was like many days in Texas that year, hot, sticky, and we were busy all the time going, going, going. But one thing caught our attention on the news that night. This was Peter Jennings on the ABC Nightly News for August 7th, 1990.
1: Evening, the President of the United States is determined. The Iraqi President Saddam Hussein is defiant. The United States says that Iraqi forces on the frontier of Saudi Arabia are in a menacing posture. And so President Bush has decided that U.S. forces will go to Saudi Arabia. The Saudis are clearly worried. Nervous enough to let the U.S. military on to Saudi territory, and by doing so, they risk inciting Iraq and losing support from other Arab states. In one of the most unpredictable parts of the world, the political and military implications of all this are dangerous.
0: As the initial reports of Iraq's invasion came in, I wasn't the only soldier that had to grab an atlas and look up Kuwait to find out where it was. It wasn't that I was ignorant, but it wasn't in our wheelhouse at the time. And so we paid attention, but we were still involved in our training cycle and getting everything done. But this was the part that really caught our attention. Units from the
1: 82nd Airborne Division based at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, will be among the first to leave for Saudi Arabia military sources say troops from the 24th infantry division at fort stewart georgia may follow total u.s ground forces are expected to number only a few thousand their principal mission will be to defend the bases where u.s aircraft will be deployed sources say the planes will include f-15 fighters from langley air force base in virginia Strategic B-52 bombers, now based at Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean, as well as anti-tank Apache helicopters, stealth fighter planes, and AWACS radar planes.
0: So this news report got our attention. The fact that the Army was beginning to deploy forces into Saudi Arabia was a big deal. But it wasn't that big of a deal for those of us in the mechanized Army. You know, it's kind of a misnomer that there's an army. There are actually lots of different armies. There's the heavy mechanized army. There's the motorized army. There's the special operations army, the aviation army. And so they're all part of the same big organization, but they all do their own thing. And so it wasn't necessarily that the 82nd Airborne Division was sending uh, their ready brigade. It was the fact that they mentioned the 24th Infantry Division that really perked our ears up. As I mentioned before, the mechanized army was very focused on the European threat in the 1980s. And so we had seen a number of deployments by the Army's uh, high readiness units, like the 82nd Airborne Division. We uh, remember the invasion of Grenada. We remember when the Marines went to Lebanon, Panama, which was the closest thing to a mechanized uh, war that we had seen, a battalion of the 5th Infantry Division from Fort Polk, Louisiana took part in the uh, Panama operation at Christmas in 1989. And so many of us at that time were actually starting to think that we may go through an entire 20-year career and never see combat. But then we heard this speech from President George H.W. Bush on August 8, 1990.
1: In the life of a nation, we're called upon to define who we are and what we believe. Sometimes these choices are not easy. But today, as president, I ask for your support in a decision I've made to stand up for what's right and condemn what's wrong, all in the cause of peace. At my direction, elements of the 82nd Airborne Division, as well as key units of the United States Air Force, are arriving today to take up defensive positions in Saudi Arabia. I took this action to assist the Saudi Arabian government in the defense of its homeland. No one commits America's armed forces to a dangerous mission lightly, but after perhaps unparalleled international consultation and exhausting every alternative, it became necessary to take this action.
0: Now, as I mentioned, the deployment from the 82nd didn't really affect us too much in the mechanized army. But the thing that really hit us was when the army decided to send the 24th Infantry Division from its home bases in Georgia to Saudi Arabia. And their first elements arrived in country on August 17th of 1990. Now, it's important to know, and all of us knew this in the heavy armor force, that mechanized units do not go places lightly. It takes Lots of shipping to get that heavy equipment from here to there. It takes multiple airplane loads to get soldiers to those deployed areas. And also, and most importantly, it takes a serious logistical chain to keep that unit supplied and functioning, especially when you consider the harsh environment that faced the Army in the deserts of northern Saudi Arabia in 1990. When all this was going on, I was a scout section leader, as I mentioned before, And so I was pretty far down on the information chain, but at the higher level of our headquarters and the mechanized force, as the units were deploying to Saudi Arabia, planning cells were set up, for instance, at 7th Corps in Europe under command of General Fred Franks, and in Fort Riley under the command of Major General Tom Raim. These planning cells began to consider what would happen if our units were alerted for deployment to Desert Shield, which ultimately came about. As October of 1990 wore on, the Army projected more and more combat power into Saudi Arabia. The 1st Cavalry Division from Fort Hood, Texas, was alerted for movement and deployed in October, as did the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment from Fort Bliss, Texas. And so these events were kind of a wake-up call for us at Fort Riley. And so there were two camps... That in terms of, like, the rumor control and the mills and all that kind of thing. On the one hand, there were the people that thought that the 1st Infantry Division was not going to go because our equipment was very old, our readiness rating was fairly low, and there were lots of other units that were uh, possibly better equipped than we were to make that mission happen. And then the second group of people were those, and this is the group that I was in, that felt like if there was going to be a major war of some kind in the Middle East, the 1st Infantry Division would definitely go regardless of our equipment, which is ultimately what happened. As the army surged more and more units into Saudi Arabia in October 1990, commanders developed what they called the offensive option, which would take the coalition forces from a defensive posture into one that could ultimately liberate the nation of Kuwait. While all this was going on, I was devouring every piece of information I could find about Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, and Iraq. Now, in 1990, there weren't the sources of information that we have today in terms of the internet, so it was kind of tough to get really good information, and the stuff that we were getting from the army was pretty bare bones. I was trying to catch C-SPAN whenever I could, watching CNN religiously, and on the morning of November 8th, I was sitting in my quarters eating my cereal before going over to the unit for PT when I saw a report that the 7th Corps had been alerted for movement to Desert Shield, and on the television a long list of units from Europe primarily scrolled across the screen, and at the very bottom it showed my unit, the 1st Infantry Division. I only lived a few minutes away from the barracks, and I drove right over to the unit that morning, and the whole place was a buzz. Everybody was excited. There were lots of rumors floating around because we hadn't really gotten any real information. Later that day we did, and that night when I came home, I tuned into CNN and saw this briefing from the Secretary of Defense, Dick Cheney, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Colin Powell. At the uh, direction of the President,
2: as he announced a few minutes ago in the White House, uh, I have today signed deployment orders to send significant additional U.S. military forces uh, to Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf as part of Operation Desert Shield. Those forces will be drawn both from uh, Europe and from the continental United States and uh, I will give you some uh, detail on them uh, as follows. Units to be deployed uh, in the days and weeks immediately ahead include the 7th Corps Headquarters out of Stuttgart, Germany, the 1st Armored Division in Germany, the 3rd Armored Division in Germany, Uh, The 2nd Armored Division Forward, this is a brigade-sized unit of the 2nd Armored Division that's forward deployed in Germany, and the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment, also in Germany. In addition to that, uh, from Stuttgart, uh, we will take the 2nd Corps Support Command. Uh, From the continental United States, uh, here at home, we will take uh, the 1st Infantry Division, the Big Red One, 1st Infantry Division,
0: mechanized from Fort Riley, Kansas, will also be moved to the Gulf. In my unit... Which was a microcosm of the Big Red One. The response to this announcement ranged from everything "Let's go, we're ready, let's do it" to "I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the Army College Fund." <laughs> but uh, it, it was a faithful announcement, and it put us on a collision course with the Republican Guard. But between the announcement and the battle, we had an intense and really, really packed period that was one of the busiest times in my entire life. November and December of 1990 sometimes felt like we were in a roller coaster going at breakneck speed faster and faster. But it all made sense, and it all had a purpose. And the other thing about it, this was not something we had not done before. The Big Red One, ever since Vietnam, had been preparing for a potential war in Europe. And so movement overseas was something that we were accustomed to. And so we weren't inventing the book as we went along. We were using a well-honed well-developed playbook to get all of our people and equipment from Fort Riley into the desert. Sometimes when I think about those long ago days, it almost seems like a miracle that we were able to deploy so many soldiers and so much equipment to the Gulf from Fort Riley. But it wasn't a miracle. It was a result of hard work, team effort, planning, and outstanding execution. And so in the coming weeks, I'll delve back into Desert Storm and the events leading up to it again. But until then, I would like to thank you for taking this time to visit with me on the Fixed Bayonets podcast, Military History You Didn't Learn in School. I hope you'll visit me on the web at fixedbayonets.us, and you can also find me on Facebook. And until then, this is retired First Sergeant Mark Flowers signing off.